So in Isaiah chapter 6, this, this thing is unpacked and we, we see this, this picture of God's holiness. And, and, and this is the thing that God's actually more concerned with his holiness than he is anything else in scripture. Because a lot of people say, well, God is love, which yes, God is love. But one of the most important, it's more important than God's love is God's holiness. It is the most pushed forward or most talked about attribute of God in the scriptures. And, and I remember being in, in high school. So I remember this in high school. It, there was a, um, a popular singer at the time who came out with a song. And, and there was a lot of people that loved the song in the church. And a lot of students went to this guy's concert. And everyone was excited about this particular song. It made it to the radio. And everybody was really excited. And the title of the song was... Who's in the house by an artist named Carmen? And the song started with, you take him high, you take him low, you take JC wherever you go. And I just remember going, uh-oh, that, that's, a, that's, that's a problem. And a bulk of the church in the mid-90s, there was this big push to use the name of Christ and to shorten it down to try to make Jesus hip and cool and, and get people's attention and get people excited about who Jesus is and who Jesus was. And at the time, churches started having many coffee house shops to call them JC's Place or the Man of Stairs Joint. And in 1997, I was handed a study by, called The Holiness of God by a guy named R.C. Sproul. And this study of the holiness of God completely wrecked my world and changed my worldview completely on all of this. Because I went to the concerts and I'm screaming, who's in the house, JC? And we're all doing these dances and singing these songs and all these things. And the holiness of God is not talked about it's not it wasn't concerned it wasn't it wasn't a thing that was that was really that big of a deal everybody was re- more concerned with Jesus being relevant to the times being relevant to uh, the people and, and whenever now I hear the term JC or the man upstairs I quickly understand that the person who says that or the organization that says that has a complete lack of understanding of the reality of the holiness of God. And it is incredibly apparent to me that, that it is a, a disturbing trend and it's a problem. And the more that I study and the more that I've come to understand this, this idea of God's holiness, God guards this and any time I hear or see the term JC or the big man or, or the guy upstairs um, and it, it causes me problems and in my 20s after I had been after my, my fresh exposure to the holiness of God by R.C. Sproul and anytime I hear this I'd go into a rage like I would lose my mind on people that would say that thing about Christ or if they call him the man upstairs like I would be borderline belligerent because it just like it, it enraged me so much to, after I after I'd seen from the Bible the holiness of God and how God revered His holiness and how dare we as a hu- as human creatures take what's holy and throw it around in the mud. And, and so, the church does not need to make Jesus culturally relevant. 
We don't need to make the Bible culturally hip. We don't need to make everything cool in the world in which we live. That is one of the most dangerous ideas of this century is that we need to take the holiness and the holy word of God and try to contextualize it to the point where everyone is cool with Jesus. That's dangerous. So in saying this, I want to take us to Isaiah chapter 6 and I want us to read Isaiah chapter 6 for the first eight verses. Uh, Very, very incredible text. So we'll start in Isaiah 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him stood seraphim, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one calling to the other, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King of the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hands a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth, and he said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. Father, we thank you for your word. And God, I pray that you would take what is said here this morning. God, I have no ability in and of myself to, to convey biblical truth without your Holy Spirit directly being involved. And God, I ask that you would do that this morning, that the Holy Spirit would permeate this room and that he would permeate this place and that he would, he would do the preaching, that he would do the convicting and he would do the converting. God, we pray for your grace and your mercy to fall in this place. In your precious name, I pray this. Amen. So King Uzziah, you got a little history lesson. King Uzziah was king over Israel for 50 years. Can you imagine having a president for 50 years? The same guy for 50 years. The same guy that led your country for a 50... I mean, we're, we, get, we get eight at the most with a certain guy. Can you imagine 50 years? So this guy has been either a beloved leader by some... He's beloved by some. He's probably hated by others. That's just the way leadership goes. But at the end of this 50 years, this guy dies. After 50 years of ruling, he's dead. And the, the world, like the country's in turmoil. The place is in, there's all kinds of problems. And the reason Isaiah is even going to the temple is because his, his country is a mess. And, and the king is, he's gone. He's, he's been on the throne for 50 years and now he's gone. And the country is sort of kind of in an uproar. And the government was a mess. So Isaiah goes to the temple to see and to hear from God. A lot of times when the world goes crazy, a lot of people come to church. They're like, man, we better check and see what's going on with, with the Lord. Has God got a word for us? Obviously, this wasn't Isaiah because Isaiah was a prophet of his day. So he'd been in touch with God often. But he, he still had this moment where he wanted to go to the temple and he wanted to see what's happening. So he goes to the temple and he sees a vision of God. He sees God. And I want you to notice something here. Isaiah goes into the temple and to see God, to, say, to see what God has to say about this. And what he sees in this moment changes his, his perspective on the current cultural crisis of his day 
And I think honestly, some of us need to get a fresh vision of the holiness of God because of the, the political crisis that we're walking through. Because we can sometimes just get real temporal and we see just temporary, very momentary things. We don't see the long view. We don't see the eternal view. We say, oh my goodness, are we, is our guy going to make it? Is our team going to make it? I'm going to tell you, our team isn't going isn't to be here in 10,000 years. Your team, whoever your political team isn't going to be here in 10,000 years. But I can tell you that Jesus will be. Jesus will be. And so, there may be, you may be politically in an uproar, but I think we need to see God for who God is. And I think it will change our perspective on our current political crisis in the world. God was high and he was lifted up. The first thing we see after this is is he sees God and God was high and lifted up. His throne was greatly lifted up. He was preeminent. I I think of Colossians 1. We started several months ago in Colossians 1, 16 through 17 says this. "For For through him God created everything. And in the heavenly realms and on earth he made the things we can see and the things that we can't see. Such as thrones and kingdoms and rulers and authorities. In the unseen world, everything was created through him and for him. And he existed before anything else. And he holds all of creation together. Isn't that, a, I mean, that's, that by itself, man, we, we should be excited. In him, he holds all of this together. You are held together because of Jesus Christ. And the train of his robe, so that's the first thing he he sees, is he sees God is sovereign and authoritative, and he's the king, and he is utterly in charge. He's utterly in charge, and the train of his robe, this is a picture of his royalty. This is something to behold. This is something to behold. The text tells us that that the train of his robe filled the temple. Like, it wasn't just sort of kind of a little bit this, or a little bit of that. I, I think of... Anytime I think of royalty and big long trains, I think of Princess Diana when she got married. You guys remember when she got married in the 80s? That, that flowy, I mean, there's documentaries on Netflix now you can watch. I mean, that train was long. It filled the church. But man, this train of this royal robe filled the entire temple. It wasn't just a little bit. It filled the temple. It filled the temple. And verse 2, there, there are... These angelic creatures that, that show up. I, I just want to give you guys a little bit of a heads up. Angels, regular angels, do not have wings. We've, for some reason, for some reason, our culture has decided to paint wings on all the angels. And, and that's just not true. Angels don't have wings. They're just, I mean, if you saw an angel on the street, you'd think he was a person. Because they look like us to some degree. Now, what does have wings? Seraphim and cherubim. Seraphim, these, this creature, seraphim, they have six wings. They don't just have two, they have six wings. And they have one singular job. In their job description, when they got handed this job by the Lord Jesus Christ, they have one job in all of creation. That's to fly around the throne of God and declare His absolute holiness. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. This is their job. To sing back and forth and to fly around the throne of God and to cry back and forth, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth 
is filled with his glory. That's their job. And so we, let's look at these creatures. They have six wings. Why in the world do they have six wings? Well, if you look at it, with two of the wings, they have, they have two of them. They're, they're things that they have to do with four of them out of, out, of the, out of the six. Four, with two they cover their face, and with two they cover their feet. Now, why is that? Because God is holy and he has to, any type of creation or cre- creatureliness has, can, has to be sheltered from the holiness of God. With two, they cover their face. They can't even look at God. They can't see him. They cover their faces with two of their wings and then they cover their feet, their creatureliness, the, the, t- the part of their, their being that could touch the earth, the earthy, the creatureliness. They have two, they cover their face, they can't look at the whole, the utter abject holiness of God and they cover their feet, their other part of their creatureliness so they, they have to cover that. And the other two, they fly. I mean, what is that? This is worship. With four of the wings, they're worshiping, and with two, they're service. There's a service portion. What this tells us, first of all, is worship is far more important than service. Worship is far more important than service. And they fly back and forth, and then they worship, and they say this back and forth to one another. Holy, holy, holy. Now, why, in the world, why, why don't they just say, holy is the Lord? Why don't they say, holy, holy? Why do they have to say, holy, holy, holy? Well, I'm glad you asked that. Um, they, the reason, this is the superlative level. Anytime in the scriptures, when this was written, they didn't have, they didn't have, it, when you're typing a letter to someone and, and, and you do it on your computer, if you want somebody to pay attention to that portion of the text, you can underline it, you can bold it, you can italicize it, you can even throw some highlighter on it in your, in your Word document so that people, pay attention to this part right here, this is really, really important. That's the reason anytime you hear somebody in the Scriptures repeated, it, it's important. Jesus would say, verily, verily, I say to you. That man, listen, this is really important. But if they say it to the third degree superlative, to the third level of understanding this, it is very, it is the highest level of importance. It is, there is so, there's no other level of importance than this superlative third portion. Holy, holy, holy. In the text, when that's done, that's, that means we've got to pay attention. This is, this, is, this is the most important. And God said, my holiness is the most important. It is the absolute. There's nothing else more important than my holiness. It is the abject, utter response to humanity. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So this is repeated Every day, all day, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. This is what it says. So God's holiness is the utmost important. And it should be taken with the utmost t- care and reverence. Like this is, this is what we need to understand is God's holiness is... Like, you don't, like we just don't walk in and just be like, yo, what's up, J.C.? I can promise you when we get to heaven, no one is going to walk in and be like, yo, what's up, man upstairs? No one's doing that. No one's going to be like, yo, what's up, brother? JC? No, no one's doing that. Like the, 
this is, okay, so the smoke, the next part of the text it says, the smoke and the shaking is a symbol of God's holiness again. And it relates to his wrath. The smoke and the shaking is, is, is related to his wrath. And Isaiah, as a prophet, understands this. And being in the presence of God's holiness, he is painfully aware of his human fallenness. And there's only one thing a human being can do when he's in the presence of God's holiness. He, what does he do? Verse 5. Look what he does. And I said, this is now Isaiah saying, I said, woe is me for I am lost and I am a man of unclean lips. And he's the prophet. He's the prophet. He's the good guy. He's the prophet of the day. And in the presence of utter holiness, he is painfully aware of his human fallenness. He pronounces a curse on himself. And so what happens, a lot of people read this and they'll say, whoa, 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 wait a minute, Caleb. Stop for just a second because that's Old Testament God of wrath and anger and smoke and shaking. We got a New Testament Jesus that's just a happy, fluffy God. Right? Well, let's read the text in Mark chapter 4. You guys got to see this. Mark chapter 4, verse 35. I want to unpack this. This is, they're in the midst of a storm. Remember that they left and they were getting to get up. They got on a boat and there was a storm in the sea. Jesus is asleep. His disciples are losing their mind. They're terrified of the storm. Remember this. They're afraid of the storm. Look at verse 35. Jesus and His holiness is revealed here. Let's go over there. Mark, I thought I had it written here. I didn't. Let's go over Mark chapter 4. I want you guys to see this. Verse 30, starting in verse 35. On that day when evening had come, He said to them, Let's go over across the other, to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took, He took with them onto a boat, and just as He was... And the other boat with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was about to sink. It was filling with water. Verse 38. But he was at the stern, terrified as well. He was up at the stern, just really concerned, wasn't he? Oh, no, that's not what it says. He was at the stern asleep. <laughs> he was asleep on a cushion. And they woke him and they said, Teacher, do you not care that we're about to die? Oh, don't you care about us, Jesus? We're about to die. And he awoke. And listen to this. He rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased. Immediately ceased. And there was calm and he said to them why are you so afraid do you still not have any faith and they were filled with great fear now the fear in this part of the text is far more awful than the fear that they had in the first part of this storm they were afraid oh we're going to perish but all of a sudden the, the fear of perishing in the storm it's great it's more Intense. The fear of seeing a holy God be able to do this terrified these men. And they were filled with great fear and they said to one another, Who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? 
Like they were like, uh-oh. It is far more terrifying to be in the boat with a holy God than it is to be outside in a storm. Especially if you're in your sin. Like, it's, it's far more worse. The fear that they had at seeing Jesus' utter holiness and his power was just, they couldn't, they were like, whoa, this is just, I don't know what to do. And you say, well, Caleb, that's just like, this doesn't, this doesn't jive with how I like to think of God. I like to think of Jesus as just sort of kind of, he's more calm and meek and mild. He's baby Jesus. I like baby Jesus better. You want to tell, are you, no. <laughs> that's what, that's immediately where a lot of people go. We love the baby Jesus, but we don't like this, this idea that there's a God of holiness and of justice and of wrath. And we don't like this idea. But we as human beings, we lose functionality when we get in the presence of any other human being that we view as superior or awesome. Like, let's just give, I'll just give you this example. If Donald Trump showed up here this morning, I wouldn't walk up and be like, Trumpy, what's up, bro? Like, I'm not going to do that to the President of the United States. I don't care who it is. If it's Donald Trump, Barack Obama, George Bush, I don't care who it is, I'm going to say... Good morning, Mr. President. So glad you're here, sir. I'm going to have a respect for the office. Because that office has authority. And you think of any celebrity. You think of any celebrity, you're not just going to walk up and be like, what's up, bro? I'll never forget when I was in high school, my brother had a, a short stint of his life that he loved rodeos. He was a big rodeo guy. Loved rodeos. And we were in Casper, Wyoming, and we went to a rodeo, because David wanted to go to this rodeo, so we went to this rodeo, and he was so excited because Joe Beaver was there. How many of you guys know who Joe Beaver is? Okay? So Joe Beaver's at this rodeo, and David is thinking, oh, this is awesome. I don't know who Joe Beaver is because I don't care about rodeos. So I'm just like, okay, whatever. And David's like, man, it would be so cool to meet him. I was like, let's go find him. He goes, what? I was like, let's go find him. So we sneak past security, we get past all the cops, we found his trailer. We found, David's like, on the way there, David's telling me, oh, I can't wait to meet him, I'm going to talk to him, I can't wait to shake his hand, it's going to be so amazing, I'm going to talk to him about so many great things, about rodeo and riding, cow, riding cows and bulls and doing all these things, I don't even know. Like, I'm not, a, I'm not, I told you, I'm not a rodeo guy, I don't know. Can't, I just know you can't milk a bull. So, I, just, I mean, I don't know. So... Stick to the notes. All right. Golly. So we get to his, we find his trailer, and David's like, oh man, it's, there it is. And I walk up and I'm like, knock on the door, and there's Joe Beaver in his whitey tidy underwear. I'm not kidding. And he stands there, and I'm like, Mr. Beaver, I'm Caleb, and this is my brother. He's a real big fan of you. And David just goes, ugh. <laughs> Like, he couldn't talk. And I was like, David, you, tell, you wanted to talk? Yeah. <laughs> it couldn't even reach his hand out to shake Joe's hand. Joe's like, hi, how you doing, man? And I was like, I'm shaking his hand. Weird guy in his underwear, but okay, cool. I'm shaking this guy's hand. I'm like, my brother really wanted to meet you. He's like, well, that's good to meet you, David. <laughs> yeah. And, we, and then we got done. David goes, that was so cool. I got to meet Joe Beaver. I was like, bro, you said nothing. <laughs> like you absolutely didn't say a word. 
Why? He goes, I, got, I was terrified, Caleb. I was so scared. Why were you scared? Because he looked up to Joe Beaver. He thought Joe Beaver was awesome. He thought Joe was the man. But like that's how we treat other human beings. Think about what's going to happen when you get in the presence of a holy God. There is no way you can even function. Everything in the Bible, when people see the holiness of God, they have one reaction. They fall to their faces and they just worship. They don't do it. They don't go, yeah, yeah, let's have a debate on theology, Lord. They immediately go to their faces and object worship. And I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. I mean, if that's just one reference where Jesus calms the storm. Jesus in the scriptures is in the, bo- in the boat with Peter and they get a bunch of fish in. And Peter looks at Jesus after getting all the fish in. Doesn't, he isn't going, hey man, can we get you on staff here? Can we, get, can we hire you? He goes, get away from me, God. I am an unclean man. I'm unholy. I'm unworthy to be in your presence. That's one of his disciples. Like this is, anytime we get in the presence of God, we've got to change our perspective. But he's not just some homie. He is the sovereign God of the universe. And the Bible says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the kingdom of God. They, they shall inherit the earth. Meek means to be humble. When you come into God's presence, there has to be a sense of meekness and humbleness. And when the spirit of humility, when we have that spirit of humility about ourselves and our sinfulness, when God sees this and He and He He comes to understand, you come under you come to understand your sinfulness in the presence of Holy God. God will move in our lives. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5-6 through 6 says, God opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. Verse 6 says, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, He, the God of the universe, can exalt you. He doesn't say, come in with, God's just lucky to have a guy like me. Yeah, the Lord's just, you know, God's got this, me, I'm, No. This is what God wants. God says in Psalms 51 verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. So when people do have a humble and repentant heart, that's when God can move in their lives. That's when God can move directly into their lives. How do we know? Because look at the text. Look what happens to Isaiah. Isaiah has a humility moment. He has a humbleness. And he says, God, I am undone. Woe is me. Curse is me. I'm lost. And I'm a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King of the Lord of hosts. I've seen this God and I cannot do anything to make myself right. And he's humbled himself. And then the next thing you see is the beautiful picture of the gospel. Verse 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me. God gave him permission. One of the seraphim flew to him, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with the tongs of the altar. And he had touched his mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. And your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. This is a picture of the work of God's grace in your life. God's, when Jesus died on the cross and he shed his blood, the Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. When Jesus shed his blood on the cross, what took place is that you were atoned for. 
Your sin was covered. Your sin was cauterized in a sense. What happened is that open. Think of, okay. How many of you guys have ever seen Braveheart, the movie? I love Braveheart. It's one of, uh, one of my favorite movies. It's violent. I would not let children watch it, but it's, if you're older, it's great. But there's a scene where one of, the, one of the older men gets shot with an arrow. And the young son starts to just pull it out. He said, you dumb boy, don't pull that out. Hold on. And the other guys are getting an iron rod ready in the heat of the fire. Because in that, if you just pulled it out, it would open up to infection and that infection would spread. Sin is an infection that can spread through the whole body. And it can come start with your stupid mouth sometimes. We can say things that can cause problems in life. The scripture says that our words are so important. In Matthew chapter 12 says, on the day of judgment, you're going to have to give an account for every idle or vicious word you've ever said. That's not me, that's Jesus. So... This idea that this, your mouth is infectious without the Holy Spirit. And it has the ability to just, just spread like a disease. Sin is a disease that can spread through your whole body and cause you problems. So in the movie, they take this iron thing and they says, you hold him down, I'll do it. No, you hold him down, I'll do it. And so they go through this whole thing. They've got like six guys holding him down. And they put this iron thing on this wound and they... And it cauterizes and kills all the germs. And yes, it hurts. Repentance can hurt. How many, it could be painful to admit we're wrong. Anybody in here like admitting you're wrong? You just raise your head and say you want to be? I think my wife just raised her hand. But this is, the, this is what happens, is that coal touched his mouth and it cauterized the sinfulness. And it, 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 it what did it say? It says here, it, this has touched your mouth and behold, it has touched your lips and your guilt is taken away. The, the mercy and the power of God's grace and his blood on the cross, when it touches your life, it takes away your sin and it, it, it cauterizes your guilt and takes away the disease of sin. That's what God's grace and God's blood does for you. So we have this moment where that, that, that coal touches Isaiah's mouth and he says, you're set, you're ready to go. And then look what happens. Look what happens. You're then useful to God. In verse 8 he says, I heard a voice say to me, whom shall I send and whom shall go for us? And I, then he said, here am I, send me. Here am I, send me. He's now ready to do service because he's seeing God in a proper light and he's repented of where he needs to repent. And now he has got the ability to move forward and to serve God. You can't serve God and have sin in your life. You cannot serve God and have sin rampantly running through your life. And this is what happens in verse 5, 6, and 7 when we have a broken and contrite spirit. And as a result of that, God moves in our lives. He restores, He reconciles, and He redeems. And this is the picture of God's purifying work in our lives. It literally burns sin out of us. In order to see God correctly, you have to see your sin in this light. You have to see your sin in the light of His holiness. You can't compare, well, I'm not as bad as Aaron. I'm not as bad as Joe. But you're not as good as Jesus. How about that? 
You have to see your light, your sin in the light of God's holiness. And that's, that light will come in, and when that light reveals your sin, that's when repentance can take place, and you have humility, and as a result of repenting and having humility in your heart, you could be restored and reconciled to the God of the universe. Until that happens, you cannot be reconciled and restored. Your good works, your Sunday school attendance, none of those things work. The only thing that gets you in a right standing with the God of the universe is that if you say, God, I'm sorry. I'm Woe is me, I am lost and I am a man or a woman of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of an unclean-lipped people. I've seen God's holiness and I am sinful. God, please forgive me. And guess what? He moves in the direction to bring you into a right relationship with himself. That's the power of God's holiness. God's holiness will show you and I who we are. And until then, don't think, oh, my mom says I'm ready. To, I, my mom says I'm saved. I don't care if your mom says you're saved. Well, my dad says, my uncle, my, uh, I, I'm a member of First Baptist Church. I don't care where you're a member of whose church. If you don't repent and follow the Lord Jesus Christ, you are wasting your time. Amen. If you don't, if you look at your, you, oh, my sin's not that bad. I just, like I said this morning in Sunday school, Joe's got sin issues. I've just got problems. That's how most of us look at it. We look at everybody else's sin as bad. Mine's not that bad. I just got problems. No, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we must repent in order to find favor with God. That's what we have to do. So this morning what I want us to do is I want us to see this. We're going to see the picture of the death, burial, and resurrection. Now I want you guys to understand something. What Logan is about to do in this water does not save him. This water has no ability to save Logan whatsoever. A spoonful or a lakeful will not save. This is a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection. Going under, we're buried with him, and then we're raised to newness of life. We're buried, we're death to ourselves, death to our sin. We're buried in that, and we're raised back to life. It is a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection. That's the reason I have it on my t-shirt. That's the reason I had Angela make these. It's the pick, death, burial, and resurrection. This is the gospel. This is the gospel. This is what saves. This is what sanctifies. This is what sets us apart. Is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so what you're going to see this morning is this picture of this. You've been listening to a sermon audio resource from the ministries at First Baptist Church in Cedarvale, Kansas. We pray that this encourages you and challenges you on your walk this week with Christ. To find out more about what's going on at First Baptist Church in Cedarvale, you can go to our Facebook page. That's facebook.com slash Cedarvale First Baptist. Thank you and God bless.